This morning we're taking a second look at the book of Ruth, and as we began to see last week, it's a book that contains a story about a family, and it's a story that shows the importance of family. But what kind of story is it going to be? What kind of story do we find in the book of Ruth? If we turn to it now, it's on page 267 in the church Bibles. We'll find that it's tucked away between the books of Judges and 1 Samuel. So let me just give you a moment to turn to it. Page 267. And if you're there, you can see that it's a short book. It's one that only has four chapters. Now, all the books before the book of Ruth are much longer, at least 20 chapters. Some of them have got 40 chapters or 50 chapters. And the same is true of the books that follow on from Ruth. So thinking about this question, what kind of story do we find in the book of Ruth? The first thing that we can say is that it's a short story. Even before starting to read it, it's a much, much shorter book than the books either before or after it. And I think that probably for many of us here, it's also a familiar story. It's one that we've read before, perhaps we've read it many times, in fact. And if that's the case, then we know how the story ends. But I want to encourage us to try reading the story or hearing the story as if we were reading it or hearing it for the very first time, as if we don't know what happens later on. And I say that because I know for myself, if I'm reading something that I'm very familiar with, then I tend to want to rush ahead and I skip over bits, whereas what I want to encourage us to do is to read carefully and take in all the details as we go and allow this story to speak to us, to speak to our hearts. So as we go through the book of Ruth with this question in mind, what kind of story is this? We might begin to wonder if this is a true story or not. We might ask ourselves, did the things that we read about here actually happen? And it struck me from what Louise was saying last week that the names of some of the characters might make us wonder about that. And it's obviously a book that was written a very, very long time ago. But as we'll see before we get to the end of chapter four, it's a book that contains references to other people and places. It's a, a story that's clearly part of a bigger story. And that's something that I think is really important. The book of Ruth is not... A standalone story. It's one that fits in with the biggest story of the Bible and one that plays a key part in the unfolding story of what God is doing. So last week we looked at the very first part of the first chapter and we discovered that this story begins with people in distress. The first reason for that distress is that there's a famine in the land of Judah and this distress leads to a dilemma for, for a family. Do we stay and starve or do we leave and look for food somewhere else? And we can perhaps imagine being in that situation. We can try to imagine what it would be like 
to have no food and no prospect of any food. And sadly, that's the situation that many people in the world find themselves in today. And we're reminded of that as we read this book. And so out of the distress comes a decision for Elimelech and his family. They decide that they're going to leave home. And we don't know if they discussed that, if they deliberated for a long time. They probably did because it was certainly a big decision for all sorts of reasons. And the place that they went to was, in fact, just the neighbouring country, a place called Moab, not far away. And we're told that they went to live there for a while. So it doesn't seem like their intention was to stay forever. This was a temporary solution to a pressing problem. But then, as we've already heard, disaster strikes and Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with her two sons. We don't know how old the sons were when they went to Moab, but the sons, after the death of their father, marry women from from Moab. And it's been 10 years since they've been away from their homeland, and more disaster falls, and both sons also die. So this must have been devastating for Naomi, a nightmare scenario, not only losing her husband but then also losing both sons while living in a foreign land and without any grandchildren to support her in the future or to carry on the family name. If we remember from last week, the next thing we're told is that news reaches Naomi that the Lord has come to the people in Judah and now there's food again. That's in verse 6 of chapter 1. So, Following the distress of the famine, the decision to leave home after the disaster of losing her husband and the devastation of losing both her sons, Naomi now decides to leave Moab to return home to Judah, taking her two daughters-in-law with her. We don't know how they travelled, we don't know what they took with them, but we do know that having set out on the road back to Judah... Naomi has a change of heart. I think it's quite likely that we've all experienced that. We've all had a change of heart, haven't we? We've made a decision about something, and then as we begin to see the consequences of that decision, we wonder if we're doing the right thing. And for Naomi, it had to do with her two daughters-in-law. She obviously cared about them deeply and cared about their future. We've called this series in the book of Ruth, Love in Action. And here we see Naomi showing love in action. Rather than taking her daughter-in-laws away from their homes and families, Naomi decides that these two women should stay in Moab. She's thinking of them rather than herself. There's clearly a a strong bond between them. They've shared life together for some years and they've experienced in common the grief of being widows. They belong together, but staying together may not be the best thing for Orpah and Ruth, even if Naomi would benefit from their company and their support. So Naomi makes another decision and says to them, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. 
And Naomi blesses them by saying, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So this prayer of Naomi for her daughters-in-law is another example of love in action. She doesn't have to say these things. She doesn't have to bless them. But it reveals a lot about the faith of Naomi after the 10 years of tragedy that she's just experienced. And it reveals a lot about her relationship with these two women. This is a simple prayer, isn't it? May the Lord show you kindness. May the Lord grant that you will find rest. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to know what to pray for other people. And as a result, I don't pray for the people that I want to pray for. So how about if we were to pray these simple prayers? So, may the Lord show you kindness. May the Lord grant that you will find rest. How about if we pray now silently just for someone who comes to mind or someone else who's here this morning and perhaps ask God to remind us to pray these things for someone in the week ahead may the Lord show you kindness may the Lord grant that you will find rest so let's just take a moment allow God to bring someone to mind it could be someone close to us it could be someone who's here it could be someone who's not here And let's just pray that the Lord will show them kindness, that the Lord will bring them rest. I think these are powerful words, and prayer is a powerful thing. But going back to the passage, at the end of verse 9... Notice that Naomi has made her decision and it doesn't look like she's about to enter into any kind of discussion. She kisses them goodbye and she's ready to press on for Judah alone. But Orpah and Ruth are not about to let her go. I'm sure they wept when their husbands died and now they weep again at the thought of separation from Naomi. They say to Naomi, we will go back with you to your people. However, it's clear that Naomi is thinking of them more than herself. She's thinking about their hopes, their future, their dreams. And as we've heard, as far as Naomi can see, if these women come with her to Judah, there will be no husbands for either of them. So again, let's pause just for a moment and reflect. How often do we think about the hopes and dreams of others? And do our decisions take into account the future happiness and well-being of other people? Because this is love in action, to think of others and to act accordingly. So can we perhaps think of someone we know who would benefit from us putting their needs before our own needs today or this week. It doesn't have to be something big. It could be a small thing that we could do. But I think unless we ask that question and think, okay, what could I do 
putting someone else's needs before my own needs. A decision, a small decision that would just be love in action for someone else, then we probably won't do it. So let's, again, just take a minute, perhaps pray again silently, and ask God to bring to mind a person or a situation where we could follow Naomi's example and act in love by putting someone's need above our own. Let's just take a moment to think and pray. Going back to our passage in verse 12 of chapter 1, Naomi repeats her instruction and follows it with a question. She says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? And we've all had the experience of trying to persuade someone to do something, haven't we? I'm sure. And even if our reasons sound very convincing and very thought through, In the end, the other person is free to choose. And that's what we see happening here. Not only does Naomi reason on the basis of the future happiness and well-being of her daughters-in-law, but she also reveals a conclusion that she's come to about herself. She says, the Lord's hand has turned against me. Basically, she's saying, you would be better off without me. And this statement causes Orpah and Ruth to weep again. And then Orpah kisses Naomi goodbye. Ruth, however, chooses a different path and clings to her mother-in-law. She holds on fast. And once again, Naomi tries to persuade Ruth to return with Orpah, but it only seems to strengthen Ruth's determination. And what we have next in verses 16 and 17 is a very powerful and well-known declaration from Ruth. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is commitment, isn't it? And let's pause again for a moment and ask ourselves, what is going through Ruth's mind at this moment? What would cause her to say such a thing? These are powerful words. And Ruth is saying them for a reason. One clear answer to that question would be that Ruth loves Naomi. She loves her mother-in-law. Her commitment to Naomi is unshakable. There's a real bond. But that also raises the question, why? Why is there such a bond? Is Naomi... 
perfect mother-in-law that there's no way that Ruth would ever leave her? Or is there something else going on here? I'd like to suggest that Ruth's devotion to her mother-in-law is also love in action. And not only is it devotion to Naomi, it's also devotion to Naomi's God, to the Lord. And there's so much that is missing from this story, things that we don't know anything about. We don't know how Ruth came to her conclusion about Naomi's God. They've lived together, they've experienced life together. But it's clear that Naomi's faith has had a profound impact on Ruth. And this is also something for us to reflect on, I think. We may not think that our faith has much of an impact on anyone else. But let me tell you, in reality, it does. It's not when life is perfect or going well that other people see the evidence of what God has done for us or in us. This first chapter ends with Naomi and Ruth arriving in Naomi's hometown, Bethlehem. And we're told that the whole town is stirred. Ten years have passed. Imagine meeting someone that you last saw ten years ago, except now they are alone, whereas before they had a husband and two sons. It's not surprising that Naomi's arrival prompts the question, can this be Naomi? Is it possible after all this time that this woman is the same person? And as Luz reminded us, the name Naomi means pleasant or sweet. But life has been far from pleasant to Naomi since she was last in Bethlehem. Her reaction is to describe her life as bitter. But more than that, she describes what the Lord has done. And the the four statements that we have in this chapter are that the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Is Naomi blaming God for what has happened? Is she bitter towards God? Doesn't seem like that to me, to be honest. I think she's stating her view. She's saying how she sees things. This is her perspective. And it's a bit like Job. I think she's reached the same conclusion. Should we just accept good things from God and not difficult things? And Naomi's answer is no. It's clear from what Naomi says here that God has brought her back home. In all things, it's God who has control. That's Naomi's conviction. There's no changing what's happened to Naomi, but Naomi has not rejected God. She is going where God is taking her. And this is also love in action. This is love for God. And then we see Ruth's determination and devotion. But we also, in her, in her words, and what Ruth says, she is determined and she is devoted. She's devoted 
to Naomi, she's devoted to God. But we also see Naomi's determination and devotion to keep going with God in spite of great loss and desolation. And, and this is very powerful. I think it makes us ask questions perhaps about what we're devoted to. Each of us is capable of real deep devotion or attachment to something or someone. And the question is simply what or who? What are we devoted to? What are we attached to? And I'll leave that for each of us to ponder. The story of Naomi and Ruth is far from over, and we will see where the story goes next, because the last words of the chapter tell us that in Bethlehem, the harvest was beginning. And that sets us up for chapter two next week.